Let's open the Word of God to Isaiah 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Even way back in the Old Testament, prophecies were made, invitations extended for the gospel kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that was yet to come. We are so blessed to be on this side of the cross to understand this passage of Scripture and to have before us on a silver platter things nutritious, luxurious, wonderful, and precious. Lord, help us to appreciate them. I read to you the verses that I gave you last evening in the preparatory email. Verses 1 through 5. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Amen Amen and amen. Ho! A call for your attention from the Lord of heaven. If you had received a gold-embossed envelope and invitation from Buckingham Palace for the marriage of Prince William and Catherine Middleton, no matter what you're thinking right now, It would have been a very high honor and a very great privilege. And you would have counted yourself very fortunate to have received such an invitation. The world thought that, and those very special, very few who attended that wedding several years ago were very privileged. But we have a greater invitation. And it is not from... Buckingham Palace, it's from the God of heaven. It's not in an embossed envelope. It's in the Word of God. It's in the Holy Scriptures of the prophets here that we're reading. And this is a wonderful passage of Scripture. And there are those of you sitting here today that haven't fully appreciated or realized the blessings that are here. And we all want to embrace These blessings. These are the gospel blessings of the New Testament of Jesus Christ. Prophesied in advance. Men are all thirsty. That is why they run around looking for pleasure and activities to satisfy their thirst. And it never works. They're hungry, but they cannot find that which will satisfy their soul. And so the prophet says, you don't need money. You just need to come because milk and wine and water are available. You don't need to bring a price for it because it's already been paid for. This is the king of a chapter that I'm going to read to you shortly, having a marriage for his son and inviting you to it. Forget Buckingham Palace. That was kid stuff compared to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse is so wonderful that we can just come because we don't need money and there's no price. It's been given to us freely by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the question comes up in verse 2 that most men, and when I say most, 
I mean 99.9% of mankind, chases the elusive satisfaction of things in this world. And the Lord asks this question. I get to ask it today. Isaiah asked it 2,500 years ago because you're going to be asked this question again when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ as to why you fussed about your job, as to why you fussed about your house, as to why you fussed about those things in life where you sought satisfaction, your hobbies, your friends, your pursuits, your entertainments, your pleasures, the Lord asks us, Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread? I will feed you a feast, the Lord says, and it will be free. Why do you spend your money on things that do not satisfy like bread satisfies? Why do you spend your labor for that which satisfieth not when I would give it to you free? This was the prophet to the Old Testament church, but it applies to us more than it did to them because we see the feast before our eyes. And so the prophet says, hearken diligently unto me. Listen, you have missed the free lunch. But it's not a free lunch. It's a free feast. You have missed it because of the things you've been pursuing. Hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good. I have good things for you and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Do you remember? A fat soul. We want fat souls. Do you know that the Lord can give you success on your job success in your business, and send leanness into your soul. That is a terrible judgment. Making money is not the measure of a man. And making money will never satisfy a man. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. But this is free. Lord, help us to appreciate this. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. Why do you want to be bored, frustrated, discontent, tired, miserable, confused, and all the other adjectives that could be used to describe you? You're not as happy as you could be. You're not as happy as you should be. And it's all your fault. God's done everything that He could and should do. He's asking you a question. Why do you spend money on food that doesn't satisfy? And why do you work so hard for things that don't satisfy? When I want to give it to you freely, if you'll just hearken diligently to me, you can have a fat soul. And the fat soul is loving the Lord Jesus Christ and living for Him. Verse 3, Incline your ear and come unto me. Come here and I'll tell you how to have this. Here and your soul shall live. Do you want your soul to live the abundant life that Jesus Christ came in John 10.10 to give us? Come here and hear it. Come right here to Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 5. Come here and I'll tell you and explain it. And I'm going to briefly do that today and encourage you to be all in for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all this morning is. All in for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you do you read him about him in the Word of God? Do you pray to know him better? Do you seek him? Do you sing about him? Do you share about him with others? Is he your all in all? Is he the fairest of ten thousand to your soul? Is his person and his character and his traits and his works and his will pleasing to you? It should be. Hearken to me. Come here and let me feed you the Word of God. Incline your ear and come unto me in that third verse here, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. When we embrace God and believe in faith and humble ourselves and repent, the gospel brings a message to us of the sure mercies of David. The sure mercies of David are the fact that David's son is sitting forever on the throne of God, ruling over the universe. That we have a brother and a high priest, an apostle, and a captain, and the prince of the kings of the earth for us in heaven. Verse 4 tells us, Behold, here's a little bit more about him, the sure mercies of David. 
I have given him for a witness to the people. He is the faithful and true witness. The book of Revelation describes him as he is a leader and commander to the people. We have a leader and we have a commander. And he is in heaven at this hour and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Growing up as a boy, I read many, many books about war. I read many bags of books about World War II and other conflicts. And we have had generals in the past, whether it's George Washington or whether it's George Patton or whether it's uh, others, Schwarzkopf, General Schwarzkopf. You know, we have had some great generals. And as a boy growing up, a general that was fearless and a general that could motivate and lead men and a general that was victorious struck a chord in boys. And that's a good thing. But we have a commander. And he's nothing like the men that I just listed. The men that I just listed are not to be compared to the commander and leader that we have, according to this verse. And this commander and leader will sit on his throne forever. He is not retired like General MacArthur was because he wanted to be victorious and protect this nation. This commander sits forever at the right hand of Almighty God and he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is he our leader and our commander, he is our savior. Not only is he our savior, in addition to being our leader and commander, he is our brother. And we are joint heirs with him of the inheritance, the glorious inheritance of the riches of the saints in glory. We're so blessed. Behold, I have given him, verse 4. Verse 5, behold. This refers to Jesus Christ and the church. Thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not. That nation is the United States of America. And a whole lot of other Gentile nations. Thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not. The Jews had no knowledge of us. Nor did Jesus of Nazareth in his human nature. And nations, that's us in Canada and Australia and New Zealand and other nations in the earth. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. God was going to glorify the church, his church of the Old Testament as it was reformed into the church of the New Testament, and the desire of all nations would come to that temple in Jerusalem and fill it with glory that Solomon's temple never had. He would glorify it. And look at us. Here we are. We have given up every other activity this morning in order to be here and run to the church of God that was once only to the Jews. And they did not know of us. And we did not know their God in our ancestors. But here we are today in this assembly fulfilling Isaiah 55, 1 through 5. These words are precious. Ho! Can the Lord get your attention? You can have a fat soul. But that fat soul means you stop spending your money and you stop laboring as the priority in your life or as a priority in your life when you should be making His kingdom your priority. Hearken diligently to these things, the prophet said. If you will make Christ the leader and commander, the faithful witness to the people, your all in all, you can have a fat soul. Your soul will live. God has glorified a kingdom in this universe and we are citizens of it by His grace. The angels are our servants. We shall judge the devil and his angels in a day that is coming soon. It is in, it is mind-boggling. It's mind-overwhelming. And our flesh is so corrupt, it doesn't want to believe it. It doesn't want to embrace it. It wants to call it like all the liberals do in our world, a bunch of fairy tales by a bunch of inferior people who need a religious crutch to get through life. We don't have a religious crutch. We have a king, and he's a leader and a commander of the people. And ho, everyone that thirsteth, 
You know, some of you are bored. You're confused. You're frustrated. You're discontent with your life. It's because Christ is not all in all to you. If you would make Him all in all to you, your soul would live and you would enjoy the fatness that is unknown to any other, to all other men pursuing any other pleasure. Nothing like it. And here it is. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? Because we're talking about satisfying and strengthening and nourishing our existence. Why do you spend money for things that don't work? Why do you labor for the things that don't work? You know, it's a terrible thing to be on the treadmill of life and have the world telling us and our flesh telling us and the devil enticing us with that video screen in front of us of all the things we need to have in order to be happy. And we keep pushing the up arrow faster, faster, faster until we get spit off into hell as I've preached to you before. It's terrible. We can slow down and be quiet and still and know that He is our God and learn about this leader and commander and come and be fed wine and milk and have fatness in our souls by seeking out diligently the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is a wonderful feast of fat things that is free and brings great delight to the soul. Turn over to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. What a passage. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread when you're hungry and you're trying to get filled and keep yourself alive? Your soul can live by seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning is to encourage you. Are you seeking the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember, we want higher ground in our church. I'm approaching it a little different way. This is not one of the things in a list that the Lord has given me for higher ground for our church. It's back to the first thing in the list. A Christ-centered church. But a Christ-centered church starts with Christ-centered individual lives. And so that's where we need to be. Oh Christ, He is the fountain. The deep, sweet well of love. We sing in one of our songs. This sermon could be entitled, Feast or Famine? Your choice. Feast or Famine? You know, it's not all that hard. You know, to be in conversation with you and to know where you stand on the spectrum of feast at one end and famine at the other. The world doesn't satisfy. It shows through in frustration, boredom, tiredness, irritation, impatience, constantly looking, constantly seeking. I've been there. I've lived enough time in the world that's that way to know it and understand it and to hear someone talk like I am to you right now, like Isaiah did to the nation of Israel. It's just, it just blows over you and it's just irritating noise because what do they know about pleasure? God knows more about pleasure than you'll ever imagine in all of eternity. Um, and I, I just want you to know that there's a feast or a famine and the choice is yours because God's brought it to us on a silver platter. He has made it so simple for us and put it right before us. Just take it. Lady Wisdom hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath mingled her wine. She hath killed her beasts. And she has a feast for those that will simply hearken diligently and come and feast on the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn of Him, to know Him, to speak of Him, to pray about Him, to Him, for more of Him, for the Holy Spirit to comfort us inside and dwell with us and be the presence of Christ with us. This is our goal. The, the sermon could also be called Missing God's Best because, and I play with those words, missing God's best, you miss, if you don't take advantage of this feast, you miss giving God your best. And we want to be like David and Paul by giving God our best. And you miss getting God's best because you want to eat the fare of this world instead of the fare of the gospel. You can miss God's best by cheating yourself of His blessings of all kinds that pass our knowledge, the Bible tells us. 
You will soon give an account of your life to Jesus Christ and He'll be asking the question that was asked there in Isaiah 55 and verse 2. Why do you spend? Why did you spend? Because then it will be too late. See, it's why do you spend? But pretty soon it's going to be why did you spend? And we will not be able to change our course of life. But we have today. We have today. And the reason that we have today is for us to repent of spending too high of a priority for the things of this life and too low of a priority for the leader and commander of the people. So we can make a change. So that when we meet him, he will not say, why did you spend? He will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's our goal. And Lord, help us to that end. A real Christian in the Bible is a disciple bearing his cross. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, it tells us that it was the church in Antioch of Syria, Paul's home church, where the disciples were first called Christians. A real Christian is a disciple that takes up his cross each day. Look at Matthew 10, 38. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And a cross sounds painful and a cross sounds heavy, but Jesus Christ said about his cross of discipleship, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Listen, it's those men of the world that are seeking to find satisfaction in money or satisfaction in a job title or satisfaction in a family or the size of a house. They're the ones that are laboring and are heavy laden. Man, the bigger house you get, there's more cleaning to be done. There's more insurance to pay. There's more repairs to keep up. M&R becomes a real problem and you're worrying about it all the time. That's a heavy burden. The Bible tells Solomon said it was a heavy burden. You gotta worry about it all the time the more money you have. You can't sleep at night because you're wondering who's trying to steal it from you. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, but we gotta take up our cross. And so that's a real Christian. A real disciple is a branch of Jesus Christ, the vine, that bears much fruit visible to all. As he said in John chapter 15, the first nine verses are about bearing fruit by abiding in the vine, Christ Jesus. He is the source of life for us. And the more we are in tune with Him, the more we invite Him in for fellowship and seek Him in the quietness of our hearts and in a quiet life from time to time, the more fruit He will bear through us. And bearing fruit through us gives us life abundant. Losing your life. Look at the next verse. Matthew 10.39 He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. The things that you want to do in your life that are for you, when you give them up to do things for the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find your life in the sense that you will find the highest level of satisfaction, fulfillment, and happiness. If you think that the the little hobbies that you have chosen to suck up your extra time, if you think those things will make you happy, you will lose your life. You will never experience the fulfillment and satisfaction that God intends for His children in this world. It's a choice. This little rule is given throughout the Gospels. It's given more than once in Matthew. He that findeth his life shall lose it. You know, when you have a job and you say, I have found my calling... This is my... No, it isn't. Your calling is a son of God. Ephesians 5 and verse 2. When a woman has a a nursery full of babies, I have found my calling. No, it isn't your calling. Your calling is the Lord Jesus Christ. Your calling is to be Mary, not filling a nursery. Mary didn't fill a nursery. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. We'll get to her before I finish. Oh, brethren, he that findeth his life shall lose it. I have found my life before this way, and I lost it. And I had a witness that slept with me every night, that knew I had lost it. 
she and I also know that when we lose our life, our lives in this case, but it's really a life because we're together in the matter, we find it. We have talked about this rule the entirety of our 39 years of marriage. I want you to understand the rule. It's truer than gravity, as I like to say. Lord, help us. Okay, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. O Lord, humble us before this passage. Now remember, somewhere between 600 and 650 years before this, Isaiah wrote Isaiah 55. Do you remember Isaiah 55? There was a feast. There was satisfying fare. There was wine and milk. There was water. It was all free. Don't bring any money. Don't, there's no price to pay. Remember that. Now we have these words. I read to you the first seven verses of Matthew 22. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Amen and amen. We cannot halt between two opinions, brethren. If the Lord is God, then let's serve him all in. If this world is God, then let's serve it all in. Let's not halt between two opinions and be lukewarm, lest we be spewed out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is an example of the Jews. Very quickly looking at this parable. The king is Almighty God. His son is the Lord Jesus Christ. The marriage supper, the feast that they were invited to, is the gospel. It's the wonderful relationship of enjoying the presence and fellowship of Almighty God and His Son, Jesus Christ, around a great big meal. That's the nicest thing that you could possibly describe happening in terms of this earth's existence. To have a king throw a wedding for his son and invite you to be there for the expensive food that's going to be on the table that a king can provide. It's a parable. Don't try to read into every single thing. I'm not going to try to make something out of the oxen. They're not roasting pastors. Because pastors are called oxen in other places. We don't ruin the Bible that way. This is a parable. It's the overall lesson that God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a great big celebration with a king and his son at their wedding. Everyone's going to be the happiest of their entire lives. And they're going to be sharing their liberality and generosity with all their guests. But when this king sends out his servants to ask those that were invited, the Jewish nation, it says in verse 3, they would not come. The Jewish nation had Isaiah 55, 1-5 through 5, taught to them for 650 years before this date, and they would not come as a whole. There were a few that were waiting for redemption in Jerusalem. So, the Lord sends out more servants. The king sends out other servants in verse 4 and explains everything's been done. Everything is here. You don't need money. I'm paying. And it's all fixed. Come unto the marriage. Come to the marriage. And it says they made light of it. They made light of it. You know, I don't think there's anyone sitting here this morning, and I don't think at any time in my life I would have made light of it verbally. I don't think there's anyone here this morning that 
if I were to ask you in front of the assembly, what do you think of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that you would make light of it and mock it? Do you know how we mock it? It's in our choices every day. Because it says here, they went their ways. They didn't want to go his way. They didn't want to be there in part of that celebration. They went their ways, and it says, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. So there's a farmer, and there's a seller or a trader in things. They went to their jobs. They went to where they thought they could find some happiness, and they made light of this big event. This is like Prince William and Catherine Middleton. This is a parable. We don't want to get hung up on the details of this parable. We want the lesson of the parable. That the gospel, because it says, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. It's not that we're supposed to look at every single detail and worry about each detail, but the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is following Jesus Christ and as our king, submitting ourselves to him and following him and letting him lead us protect us, guide us, teach us through life. It's the kingdom of heaven. He's our king. He's from heaven. He sits in heaven. It's called the kingdom of God in other places because God set up the kingdom. And it's wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that Jesus Christ died for us, lives for us, and will, we, He will soon come for us and take us unto Himself. And so it's compared to this big feast that only a king could afford. And they would not come. Then they made light of it. And they went to their farm and their merchandise. And the remnant, the rest of the Jews that just didn't make light of it, I mean the wicked remnant, they slew those servants that came making the invitation. Do you know who those servants were? The prophets and apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were killed by the Jews. And so what did God do? God was wroth, verse 7, and He sent forth His armies, the Roman armies, under Titus. Everything on earth is His. If the Bible can say, the cattle on a thousand hills are His, I can promise you, the legions of Rome are His. That shouldn't cause you any difficulty at all. And He sent forth His armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. We understand this parable as much as it can be understood. But the real issue is, do we practice this parable as much as we should? You're missing it. Play with your little life. Your little life is worthless. It doesn't even satisfy you. It certainly doesn't impress us. And it doesn't satisfy you. This satisfies you. And it also impresses us. When we meet those that are truly living for the Lord Jesus Christ, it impresses the soul that we have met another person in the world that God had by His grace has so changed they want to live all out for Christ or, or all in for Christ. Which one is it? Yes, yeah, thank you, Nathan. It's all out and all in. We have put all into the game and we're living all out for Him. It's not a game. It's the marriage of the king. They made light of it. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. This is so simple today. Are you being distracted with your merchandise or your farm? I know you wouldn't make light of it verbally. He knows that. But it says they went their ways. Brother Donald read to us one of the three accounts of the rich young ruler. He went away sorrowful. That is a terrible choice he made. Look at the choice those people made, the Jews. The kingdom of heaven was taken from them and given to us Gentiles. Have you ever, you think of those Jews killing all those animals and thinking that they had something good and here we are enjoying a finished sacrifice by the Messiah. We know the Messiah. They think they're still looking for Him. They've lost everything. We've gained everything. And then He killed them and wiped them out with the greatest tribulation in the history of the world. That is the difference between feast and famine. That is horrible. The rich young ruler, 
He went away sorrowful and he was grieved, but he still had his coin. Is that what you're thinking? He still had his money? If the Bible is true, what was the rest of his life like? Miserable. Solomon would call it an evil disease. Even on his bed, he wouldn't be able to sleep. At the end of his life, he would be tormented knowing that that wealth is going to go into the hands of a fool that would lose it faster than he gained it. And all the other lessons that are taught in the book of Ecclesiastes. He went away sorrowful, but his sorrow was just starting. I want you to know something about the Lord. He knows you better than you know you. I have taught you this for a long time. He knows me better than I know me. He knows buttons to push to see if we love Him the most. The the value of a thing, in economic terms, the value of a thing is what you will give in exchange for it. What is keeping you from being all in for the Lord Jesus Christ? Your minimum wage job? Everyone in here that I know of works for minimum wage or just a little bit more. Honestly, you won't give that up? Your time? Your precious habits? Your ease? Your friends? You know, what will you not give up to be all in for the Lord Jesus Christ? That means they are more valuable to you than Him. That's why you choose them rather than Him. That's why you choose it rather than Him. And that rich, that rich young ruler, Jesus knew what his button was. His button was money. And it wasn't just money. Did you notice that in the passage that Donald read to us, it wasn't just money because Jesus clarified it. It was trusting in money that was his problem. He didn't think that he'd be able to survive if he was to give up all his money to follow Christ. But his greatest chance of success and survival was to give up all his money and to follow Christ. And that chance is certainty when we follow the Lord. What a choice he made. He went away sorrowful. How many of you are going to walk away today and you may not even be smart enough to go away sorrowful? You'll just go away saying, well, I sat through another sermon. The rest of your life will be sorrowful. It isn't going to get better. It's going to get worse. There's only one way to make it better. All in for the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 24. Acts 24. We have a king, a leader and a commander. He's died for us. He rose again for us. He lives at the right hand of God for us. He owns the universe for us. He's coming again to destroy this earth and the universe for us. He's going to give us a new heaven and a new earth for us. We will inherit all things with Him. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what we believe if we believe the gospel. There should be only one way we live all out for Him. What a king, what a personal friendship he has chosen to have with us. He has adopted us. We are his sons and his daughters. This is the good news of the gospel. Lord, by your spirit, teach us in our inner man and show us by his strength and power the truth of this revelation of your word. Acts chapter 24. Paul is on trial, this time before Governor Felix. Verse 22, and when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, that is the Christian religion and the Jewish religion, he said, when Lysias the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. 
He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener, and communed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. What an opportunity! Isaiah 55, 1-5, was laid on a silver platter before Governor Festus. Felix, Governor Felix. It was laid out before him. Righteousness. The God of heaven requires righteousness in order for a man to be accepted with him, and he has provided one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Temperance. You Romans and you appointees of the Roman government, you do not live the temperate lives that you should, and you'll be given account for them. And there's things that could be said about this governor that are known historically that are not worth saying right now. And judgment to come. The warning of eternal judgment. This sounds like the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 given to Governor Felix. And what does he say? When I have a convenient season, I'm just not ready yet to be all in for the Lord Jesus Christ. I need a few more years at the bank before I'm willing to be a pastor. When it's convenient, I will call for thee. You know, procrastinators love to talk about things like that. When it's more convenient, when I have more time, I'll call for you. Don't ever let this happen to you. What happened to the Felix? What a messed up choice he made that day. You know, today we have an opportunity. We've had the Apostle Paul. We've had Isaiah. We've had the kings. We've had Jesus speaking to us. They've all been speaking to us about righteousness, temperance, judgment to come, a feast of fat things, a marriage of a king for his son that we're invited to. It's just going on and on and on this morning already. And what are you going to say to me? What are you going to say to the Lord? What are you saying to yourself right now? I know that there, I know that there is a way in which I could be living more fully for the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm just not ready for it. That is a horrible choice. That is missing God's best for your life. That is feast or famine, and you have chosen the famine. God will not allow you to make light of His offer and invitation in the gospel for you to enjoy the good things. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You read about Agrippa last night. Weren't those horrible words? Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. And Paul said, I would that it were altogether. Not almost, but altogether. Not only you, King Agrippa, but everyone here in this assembly would be altogether like me. Now see, that is the Bible. There is a thought in the hearts of many that just being a good average Christian is enough. No, it isn't. The Apostle Paul said, I wish that you all were all together such and one as myself except for these bonds. And what was Paul like? All in for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said in Philippians chapter 3, he said that you should mark us, men that live like I do, and follow us because we are your example. Listen, this paced existence of an average Christian is totally unacceptable to God. It doesn't win the race. Paul said they all run in the race, but only one gets the prize. So run. So, in the manner I have just specified, because there's only one winner, so run that ye may obtain. We want to obtain the crown and the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we want to run the Christian life to win. All out. Time. A good chunk of time. Every day. Seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking of Him. Encouraging others toward Him. Not encouraging others toward a college degree. Encouraging others toward Christ. We need to get our college degrees if we're in school. But more than that, we need the Lord Jesus Christ as the center of our lives. 
Here we go with Martha and Mary. Verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. Luke 10, 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She loved hospitality. These were dear friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, their brother, as it is stated in John chapter 11. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So Martha has invited Jesus into their home. Jesus takes a seat. Mary sits on the floor at his feet, wanting to hear every word from the Lord Jesus Christ wanting to know everything that she can get from the Son of God. Now Martha's in the kitchen. She's worried about all the details. Everything needs to be just right. And she's envious, jealous, angry at Mary for not helping her. So it says in verse 40, But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter, therefore, that she helped me. Now, here's an opportunity for Jesus to jump in to a little domestic dispute and say, come on, Mary, it's a little hard for Sarah in the heat of the kitchen. You know, why don't you get in? It's a little hard for Martha there in the kitchen. Mary, why don't you get in there and help her? Wouldn't it have been a great opportunity? That sounds fair, doesn't it? But listen, there's nothing fair about being crazy for the kingdom of heaven. You put the kingdom of heaven first. I find this so amusing. I don't know what Martha was doing in the kitchen, honestly. I don't know what she was doing in there except proving that she didn't have any faith. Are you with me? Did Martha know that Jesus had fed 5,000 men besides women and children with a small boy's lunch? You know that she could have brought one bowl of leftovers out of the refrigerator over and just set it on a table and then sat down beside Mary to hear everything from Jesus' feet. And when she turned around, there would have been a feast spread for the entire city. Unbelievable. People will get so messed up on their little lives. Lord, save us from our little lives. Let us be like Mary and learn of our leader and our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus answered and said unto her in verse 41, Martha, Martha, thou art careful That means worried and stressed. Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. Fixing a meal is not needful. We could skip a meal. We could wait till tomorrow. I could feed the whole city with one prayer of blessing. One thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. There isn't a chance that I'm going to tell Mary that she needs to go in the kitchen and fuss like you are. Now, we have to fix meals from time to time because you don't have a little boy's lunch that the Lord's going to bless and 12 baskets full are going to be taken up later. So we do have to fix meals from time to time, but all of this is a matter of priority. Martha did not have to be in there because Jesus would have taken care of the food a whole lot better. I can promise you that Jesus could set a table better than Martha could imagine a table. She should have been there beside Mary and Jesus would have taken care of the food. It's a matter of priority. What are your priorities? Going into this next week, where are your priorities going to be? Are you going to be a Mary or are you going to be a Martha? If you think that taking good care of your children is like sitting at Jesus' feet, it isn't even a second cousin. Have you ever seen a junkyard dog? You mothers that think taking care of your children is something noble. Have you ever seen a junkyard, a mother junkyard dog? They do as good of a job as you have ever done. Don't we have to take care of our children? Of course. Don't we have to fix meals? Of course. Don't we have to go to work? Of course. But what is your priority? What is your priority? The good thing, the needful thing? The good thing and the needful thing is to learn of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be sold out to his faith, to learn of him, to have fellowship with him. We all have, we have these duties, but we want to minimize those duties and put them in their proper place so that we have the Lord Jesus Christ first. So I want you to be thinking about the feast 
of wine and milk in Isaiah 55. Ho! Can you remember by that word? Ho! Your soul delight itself in fatness. Your soul live. A leader and a commander of the people. Or Matthew 22, they made light of it and went to their farm and went to their merchandise. Or Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler went away sorrowful because he wasn't willing to make that sacrifice of giving up what was so important to him. And that's why I mentioned mothers. Their children become too important to them. It's easy for children to become too important to a mother because it's too easy in comparison to loving Christ. Too fast to Felix. You know, who said, when I have a convenient season, when, when the timing's better, then I'll get serious. When it's Agrippa, almost thou persuadest me to Mary and Martha. Thinking about these examples that we have in the New Testament given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to remind us that today and tomorrow and Tuesday, if the Lord tarries, we will make decisions about our priorities of where our passions and our time, our effort and our spending are. And they should be for the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot halt between two opinions. Either we're all in for Christ or we're all in for the devil and his world around us. I'd like to finish this sermon with an email. I had a conversation yesterday morning with our brother and friend in New Zealand. It only took a few minutes into his testimony that he was wanting to share with me that I said, please commit it to writing so that not only I benefit from it, but all of your brothers and sisters in the church benefit from it. It's lengthy. It'll take me a few minutes to read it to you. I believe it will bless you. So today you can consider for the first service you had two sermons. One called Feast and Famine by your pastor and one from your brother Scott. Quite a few weeks ago, I was talking with Jerry and he was mentioning about doing the first works and returning to his first love. He was rejoicing in it, and I was pricked in my heart. Work was going well. University studies were going well. And by all outward appearances, I was blessed. But the Lord knows the innermost thoughts, and I was found wanting. I had slipped and could not hide it from the Lord. I was deeply ashamed at where I was. My soul used to pant and thirst fervently after the Lord. I used to cry out daily to the Lord, begging Him to come and sup with me. I would fervently reason with Him daily that I am a stranger and pilgrim on this earth, that this world disgusts me, and I want nothing from it and want no part of it. All I want is His Son, my Lord and King, Jesus Christ. I did not care or ask for any carnal blessings in my life or in my job. All I wanted was Him. He was my portion, my all in all, and He consumed me, and the pursuit of Him consumed me, and I left Him. For what? I write emails telling how well I am doing in the university and thankful to the Lord when my heart is far from Him. That is perverse and it disgusts me. And as I write this, I am more than deeply ashamed. I can smell the stink of my flesh, the putrid wormwood and gall, and the vomit dripping from me. My favorite psalm is 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I love it. It reminds me of the grief, shame, pain, and sacrifice my precious Lord and Savior went through for me. When I read from verses 1 to 22, I am humbled and brought to my knees. It should have been me the wretched man that I am. I can truly say that I am not worthy of the least of His mercies and in the least of all the saints in the church of Greenville. However, Psalm 22 also reminds me of the glory of the cross of Christ, my redemption through the shedding of the precious blood of the everlasting covenant. He tasted death for me, so I will never taste punishment for my transgressions. His righteousness for the remission of sins justified by His faith, able to stand holy, 
unblameable, unreprovable in the sight of God. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. That's Psalm 35 and verse 18. I repented of my perversion of God's commandments. Then forgetting all those things that are behind, pressed on to win Christ. This is all recently. He's sharing with you a minor turnaround in his life that he's referring to as major. Some of you will be more major. I hope you know what I mean. Part of this was circumspectly examining my ways. In particular, what disciplines was I undertaking when I was in close fellowship with the Lord that I'm no longer doing? It came down to one thing. The purpose of my life under this sun. And he quotes Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. For fearing God and keeping His commandments shows that you love Him. And the Lord Jesus Christ will manifest Himself to you. The Father and Him will come and sup with you. Keeping His commandments and wanting to please Him are my consuming desire. It is above all else. It starts as soon as I open my eyes... And I am conscious first thing, when I am conscious first thing in the morning, and does not end till I lose it when falling asleep. Practically, measures have to be taken to achieve this desire. In Psalm 119 and verse 11, David wrote, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. The answer was to hide his word in my heart. And I had a method that I used to do this, but abandon it as I thought I did not need to use it anymore. This method enabled me to remember and apply God's Word in my life and at work. God blessed me. I prospered in everything I did. I saw the blessings that resulted from fearing God all the day long. I was extremely thankful for these blessings, but much more so for the communion with my Lord Jesus Christ. I had such peace and joy. With Him, I did not need or did not want anybody else. I did not want anybody to distract me from my fellowship with Him. My heart, soul, and mind were taken. I had a journal that I would write scriptures that I considered important to remember when going out to the work environment. It got up to six pages. And I would read it every morning and meditate on them on the drive to work and at work. I would hide them in my heart, and the constant repetition of doing this day after day would further establish this. That's what he used to do. He stopped doing it. He didn't think he needed it anymore. I have a new journal, and it has three pages of Scripture so far. I read them every morning and at work during breaks to bring them to remembrance again. I have to do this, as I know my flesh and my heart, and it's deceitful and wicked ways. One of the most important verses I read each morning is 1 Kings 18.21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered him not a word. I read this verse and meditate on it. How often? Every day. I consider the options. One, declare yourself all in for Jehovah. I'd like you to understand that I had my sermon ready yesterday morning at 7.30 when he called 10 p.m. Saturday night from New Zealand. And hearing him say words that I had in my outline was just crazy. I said, would you put it in writing, please? See, you're getting sermon number two this morning. I consider the options. One, declare yourself all in for Jehovah. Two, declare yourself all in for the devil. Three, halt between the two, and the Lord Jesus Christ will spew you out from his glorious mouth. 
it is important this decision, it is important to make this decision and its consequences are clear before I begin my day. I verbally declare to the Lord, I will follow you this day. I find there is no worth at all to proceed from here and read other scriptures until I declare to serve the Lord as a living sacrifice this day. It is the driving determination of the heart, soul, and mind to seek God and His righteousness. For this day, and this day only, I do not ponder about tomorrow. It is not guaranteed. This day has enough for me to concentrate my efforts on. If the Lord wills, I will be able to repeat this again the following day. There are many more scriptures that follow set headings in my journal that guide my thought process, such as three goals for the day from Psalm 119.11. Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3, the preeminent goal of the day, not grieving, quenching, or vexing the Holy Spirit of God. The previously mentioned decision, 1 Kings 18.21, the purpose of the day, which includes Ecclesiastes 12.13 and 14, Psalm 147, verse 11, Proverbs 19.23, John 14.21, and remember where your life is which includes reminders about where my life is hid in Christ and God, where I will find it, what I should do to find it, and my true home. All these are designed to help me put up my guards so I can live sober, righteously, and honestly in this evil generation. The Scriptures constantly change relative to what the Lord is impressing on me, but the principle still remains. Hide them in my heart so I don't sin against Him. This overall desire for this was birthed in the Psalm 101 sermon. I was convicted of being puffed up with knowledge and being satisfied with that. It is tempting in the church of Greenville to become complacent with doctrine instead of making your calling and election sure. I became sick of being complacent. My prayer to God after the Psalm 101 sermon was not to help me to behave myself wisely in a perfect way, nor help me walk within my house with a perfect heart. It is for the Lord to give me understanding and knowledge in His ways, and I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way and walk within my house with a perfect heart. He has already given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. I have the Holy Spirit within me to fill me with the fruits of righteousness to do this. I have seen blessings from doing this. I considered my ways and told the Lord I was marking the calendar. The Haggai sermon was a great blessing to me. The Lord has stirred my spirit and given me great zeal to obey His commandments and seek Him. Knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and His love, which passes all knowledge, is the prize here. He is wonderful and glorious. I have also cut down on my university study to focus more on the Lord. While still doing a reasonable amount, my last analytical chemistry exam, which was worth an eighth of the final grade, I topped the class with 96%. That's around 50 students. I am still marking my calendar. After all, the Lord did not give an end date that He would stop the blessing. I hope this encourages my brothers and sisters to abandon the world and its inputs. They simply do not compare. And it is never too late to revive the first love. Read Psalm 22. Jesus Christ has paid the price and redeemed us. Justice has been satisfied and the Lord is knocking at the door. The Jews spent 15 years building their own houses and attending to their needs instead of the temple. As soon as they obeyed the Lord's words from Haggai, the Lord said, I am with you. And He stirred up their spirits and told them He would bless them. He is abundant in mercy and goodness and abounds in grace towards us. It is why He is so glorious and worthy of all our praise and all our might. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ bless everyone hearing this and give you knowledge of Jesus Christ and His love by the Spirit of God. May your love abound more and more towards each other. And may Jesus Christ be preeminent in the church of Greenville forever. Amen. Amen. P.S. You probably don't want to read this out. But I am stirred up 
you're going to get the P.S. I don't want to be around anyone that is not seeking our God and His righteousness. Simple as that. When I read Psalm 22 and see what Jesus Christ went through for His sheep, to see saints enamored with TV, movies, worldly music, worldly friends, Christian friends, saddens and distresses me. David hated all these, and so do I. Who people associate with outside the church baffles me the most, especially socializing regularly with Christian friends who do not hold to the same doctrines. It's another Jesus. If you start talking about justification by Christ alone, incarnate sonship, doctrine of representation, five phases of salvation, etc., other Christians will run a mile and never talk to you again. If you don't talk about these things, what is being talked about? Are these things not close to their hearts? They are the ones compromising their faith, not their Christian friends. As soon as that decision to compromise starts, the corruption begins. For the record, I'm talking about friends here that people choose to socialize with. Not family or if you have to go to work functions. Occasionally or attend school with. Although these have to be handled with wisdom as well. David was very selective and discriminatory when choosing who he wanted to be around and who you associate with can sharpen or corrupt you. I only want to be around the ones I can sharpen or the ones who can sharpen me. The ones that are fearing the Lord, bearing fruit, and glorifying God. How can I even be certain of their election if they don't bear fruit? How can they? Sitting in the pews, believing the doctrine means nothing and proves nothing. Well, it does prove something. Devilish faith. A recent transformation in the last six weeks of your brother and friend from New Zealand. May the combination of God's word and the God's word from that email provoke you that there are very practical steps that you can take each day to make each day a disciplined pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ rather than a whatever is left over I might have time approach. May the Lord bless all of us to pay attention to not make light of it, to not go away sorrowful, to not wait for a more convenient season, to not say that we're almost persuaded, but to be fully persuaded and all together like our brother Paul. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.